Hi, this is Brent Weeks, author of the Lightbringer series. Welcome to the Legendarium. I just thought I'd bring it up so that people can call me a monster on Reddit. So <laughs> go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and call me a monster. Yeah. Sure, uh, you can no, do that. That's you showing empathy and, and, and a heart. Is it's, that what that is? That's Yeah. It, I don't know when it started growing in your chest, but it's... <laughs> yeah. grew three sizes. Three sizes today. Day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode number 253. The Broken Eye. This is Lightbringer number three by Brent Weeks. Uh, today we're discussing chapters one through 55. So spoiler alert for that. We are going to try to avoid talking about the ending of this book. Uh, we'll see how we do. But yeah, we're <laughs> going to generally try to stick to chapters one through 55. So if you've read up through that, go ahead and give this a listen. Uh, anyway, I am your host, Craig Hanks, and over there, he's as energetic as a blue drafter trying to break his halos. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> I just keep smashing my face into the lux until it breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and we found her on a trek through a jungle island. Jury's still out, though, on whether she's even real. It's Stephanie Bruckman. Yeah, I have nothing to that. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. That's, these are, I, I try to design them to be comeback proof. Anyway. Yeah, I got nothing. Ken's, Ken's not here. Ken actually prepares his comebacks. Mm -hmm. which is dumb because they rarely have anything to do with what I actually said. <laughs> but, oh, well, whatever. Uh, anyway, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I know it's been a little while since our last uh, since our last discussion on whatever this is called, Lightbringer. Yeah. <laughs> we just made an odd jump going to the end and trying to do a spoiler-free version, which just really didn't, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. work well. Yeah, now so going back. Exactly. So if you if you are listening to this in the future, first of all, hello from the past. And second of all, just so you know, if you haven't kept up, this is how it went. We read one through two, and then number five was coming out. And so Ryan and Stephanie were blazing ahead, and I had to catch up. So I caught up. I read all three, uh, three, four, and five within like two weeks. Mm -hmm. It was one of the more stressful two weeks of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did our our spoiler-free quote-unquote review. It was a it was a pathetic excuse for a discussion on book five. And uh, anyway, so now we're back to the spoiler-full discussions mm -hmm. going through the other ones. So anyway, it's going to be a little bit weird because the first two books, yeah, I had no idea what was coming up and I was just kind of reading it as a brand newcomer. And now I've read them all and promptly forgotten most of it, so I'll still be kind of like a newcomer <laughs> who who somewhat grasps the ending. I'm sure Brent is pleased to hear that his work is forgettable. <laughs> uh, he'll forgive me. Uh, okay, so what else am I forgetting? Don't uh, don't forget, if you appreciate what we do here on The Legendarium, go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Join the conversation at thelegendarium.reddit.com. And if you would like an invite to Discord, where we have uh, some live chats going on pretty much constantly on any subject that we've covered on the podcast. You and can some ask, we haven't. And some we haven't. You can ask me for that, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever the case may be. Uh, so... Let's get started on this. The synopsis for The Broken Eye, first half, roughly here's where we're at. Okay, Karis has been stripped of her position in the Blackguard for marrying the Prism. Uh, so she and Gavin got married, right? We remember that. So the White uh, strips her of that position and then forbids her from drafting because she is getting fairly close to breaking that halo and we need her to stick around for a while. 
Uh, so she's now forbidden from drafting. She's also made the Whites spy master. Tia is recruited by the Order of the Broken Eye. If we uh, so, this is where uh, Brent Brent had a joke on our uh, when when he spun the wheel with us, mm-hmm. and he asked. Uh, you had said something in a previous episode about the worst name in the series, the the oh, best yes. the best bad name in the series. Mm-hmm. Murder Sharp. It's Murder Sharp. So he recruits Tia to the Order of the Broken Eye. And I'm sure we'll talk more about Murder Sharp in a little while. Yes, that's a name, uh, Murder Sharp. Uh, okay, so she gets recruited by the Order of the Broken Eye. She immediately reports it to Iron Fist and the White and becomes a double agent. Kip escapes from Zyman, who took him captive at the end of the last book. Uh, Kip makes his way back to the Chromaria, but on the way, he has to deal with leeches and a fever dream of some heavenly being. He continues to prodigiously draft certain colors. In this case, blue, I think, is the one that he's uh, uh, that he's using most for making his way through uh, the jungle. And he meets a, I don't know, a possibly fictitious old woman. We think maybe she's real. Uh, no, she's real. No, okay, I'm pretty she's sure she's real. real yeah. There's there's a lot of like oh, I'm coming down on the real side. Okay. We can argue it other Yeah, she's yeah. some just neighboring she's just a nice town. Old lady. Yeah, that finds a <laughs> that found a man in a naked in a cocoon. A, yeah, a naked man gave in him a... some clothes and food and took care of him. I mean, what would you do? I that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Gavin is a galley slave. Uh, so he's been taken prisoner by Gunner and is rowing in the galley of a ship. Uh, Mostly, he spends the first half of this book ruminating about how sucky his life is, but he also hangs out with a few of the other rowers, including Orholam, a fellow slave who is so named because he might be a prophet. Also, he's nice but never helpful, and people think it's a funny joke. So there's some other sailors too whose names we can't really repeat and maintain. <laughs> our, but I really enjoyed that naming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was pretty good. Although I I do wonder now. Okay, we're gonna get into some stuff, and obviously, <laughs> as is our habit, we're just gonna skip around to a bunch of stuff. Uh, but I do wonder with that character. For those who are, if you're still not on it, I, I'm not going to. It's just his name. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll just bleep it, and then you'll remember <laughs> it, it had to be bleeped, and so that's what that name was. Anyway, so that character, um, I do wonder about that a little bit because I, I saw one comment on uh, Twitter, Reddit, I can't remember where, where somebody said, oh, it's so nice to see someone with Tourette's represented in mm-hmm. a book like this. And that's fine. I don't know much about Tourette's, and I don't pretend to but I have heard that that's a pretty uncommon right. manifestation of Tourette's syndrome uh, that you, you know. It's one of the more... Swearing or repeating yourself like that? Uh, swearing constantly. Okay. Like, it's it's just one of those things that catches more people's attention because of, right. of what's being said there. Um, I actually did, I knew one gentleman who had Tourette's and his was all uh, based, it was pretty much uh, a, just a, a muscle flinch that was in his face where he would just be talking and all of a sudden he would just kind of just crunch up clinch up a little bit that's all his was he's because occasionally he would shout something out but it wasn't really specific to that so yeah anyway i i i I don't really have a problem with it it's not something that uh has affected me either primarily or secondarily and so i don't have like a bone to pick i just was curious about that he Uh, was i i've been re-listening to this book and have been able to pay attention more to the details on uh the second listen and he is interesting in the point where at moments when he should need to say the most, 
it kicks in. I mean, it's like a stutter for most people. I think it's closer right. to a stutter because so he's, he's trying stressed. to say something important and he just starts swearing because he can't get out what he wants to say. Right. And it actually does affect his character quite strongly in in moments when like, I have no idea when this happens in the book and if I'm jumping ahead, so sorry if I am, but when the slaves are actually rescued or freed, there's a moment where they're in this big battle and he has a chance to really yell out and save people and he can't, he can't do it because he's stuck like that. So there were those kind of things listening to it the second time that I caught with his specific character because he's not a big character. No. He doesn't show up a whole lot, but when he does, it's amazing how much of a detriment it is to his character. Right. And for and, someone dealing with that sort of thing, that, that's that's representation. That's something in yeah, there that yeah. matters. That they're like, oh, cool. I I know that. Yeah. He may not be a major character. He's just kind of, he's like flavoring. You might call him salty. <laughs> come on, Ryan. Come on. Nope. No, come nope. on. A little bit. Move Move on. No. Move on. <laughs> Your humor dies here. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah, I mean, you, you're terrible. So, oh, I <laughs> forgot to mention, Did I never got to live. Live is tasked with finding the super violet seed crystal. Okay, so we're done with live. <laughs> that's, Congratulations. And, and okay, so maybe that's where we should start our discussion. I uh, Here's how it's going to go down today. We've got a few notes from our respective Kindle editions that I think the three of us are going to get to. I did get on uh, Discord and ask people for their what they want us to talk about. And I got a few uh, few discussion suggestions. I might end up holding off on those until the next Broken Eye episode. Because I think we've got plenty of our own notes to get through. And so maybe we kind of push our way through those for the first half of the book. And then we get to the, the listener suggestions when we can speak about them with the whole book in mind. Mm-hmm. Sound good? They're uh, always there in the background if we need them. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So anyway, uh, let's talk about bad guys. So, bad guys. So good so far. In mm-hmm. fact, it's one of my highlights from the first two books of the series is that Gavin, you're you're presented with Gavin, this amazing, you know, uh, Aragorn figure who can do no wrong. He's all powerful. He's amazing. He rallies everybody to his cause, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then we scratch the surface a little bit with Gavin and he becomes you know, a little bit more... Oh, who is this guy? Is he the person we thought we were given at the beginning of the book? You know, he literally isn't the person that we were. About. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and then we see the color prince, or whatever he's called in the first two. What? What is it? Like? That's right. He's the color prince. Yeah, he's calling that. Yeah, exactly. He's My Little Pony. He's the Rainbow King. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, by the way, the Rainbow King is from that Netflix show. Have you guys ever watched that? True. It's got something called the Rainbow King. It mm. makes me chuckle now every time I see it. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. No, the the Rainbow King <laughs> is clearly a bad guy until he starts talking in the first book or two. And you're like, well, you know, I, I don't love everything he's doing, but Homeboy's making some good points. And There's some so, sense in there. Yeah, exactly. There's some sense in there. And then now we're in the first uh, part of book three. And where are my freaking bad guys? <laughs> you know we're given a lot of gavin uh you know and his just kind of like chilling in the in the galley wondering about his life uh, but the bad guys are gone we don't we, we yeah we have a little bit we They're see a little in the background they're I not think from, like from one of the piece. biggest that would even be kind of classified is andros you get a lot more of andros and kip's relationship at the beginning right. of this book 
And man, he's a (laughs) dirtbag. I still feel, (laughs) in this book, kind of like I was saying in our discussions of the first book, maybe it was the second one, where everybody wants me to hate Andros. And I still feel like, (laughs) yes, I understand that he is antagonistic toward Kip. And yet I have a hard time saying that he's the bad guy. Uh, well, I you guess, know, yeah. I, I I think he's just slippery. I, we spend a, the majority of our time, especially at the beginning of this, is spent with your mid-level villains. Yeah, because you have Zyman in there and Gunner. Yeah, at least in their current iteration. Crazy like, Gunner. Yeah, because Gunner's not a... You wouldn't consider him a villain, but he's no. doing villainous things. Right. Sense, like, he's, he's a pirate. Yeah, he's a pirate. That's You have expectations of what a pirate does, and he's living those expectations. So right. you're like, oh, you, you're not a really... You're a bad guy, but you're not the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, same with Zyman. Zyman hasn't gone fully off the rails, and so he, you just you just don't like him yeah. at this point. Uh, and I don't know that we really get one in this book. Period. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I guess with the first two books, those were some of the most fascinating chapters, the most meaty things to to read and to ruminate on. And now in this book, we get a little bit in chapters 1 through 55, we we get a few moments with Liv and or the Color Prince, but then those are few and far between. But when we get them, they're so interesting still. And I'm like, and so maybe it's just a matter of, well, that's all there is to explore with them uh, in, Brent's, in Brent's outline, in his mind. I don't know. I'm curious if in, Brent talks about in this series that he took two characters that were on polar opposites of of the scale of life at the beginning. So you have Kip, who's the the fat bastard son type thing. Say fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you have Gavin, who's this super hero, basically. And they have to do a switch through the series. And so we're in the middle of the series where the two of them should be crossing paths in terms of their life path. Um, Kip on his way up, Gavin on his way down. Right. And when you're in that middle ground trying to maintain a, a excitement or definition to your characters. I wonder if it's just a matter of I need to focus on these two here to keep them going and going to our villains would just make that harder, if that makes sense at all. I think so, yeah. I, I like what you're getting at. I hadn't thought of it that way. I wonder if it would have made more sense to skip the boring crap. Yeah. <laughs> with your with your main characters and go to your villains even if they are second tier villains and spend some more time with them and show show just how villainous they are so that when you as you build up your primary characters or tear them down as the case may be then when we finally have our confrontation we like I'm I'm afraid at this point in the book and I've got notes to prove it I'm afraid at this point that we're not going to care about a confrontation because we're not spending enough time with the villains Mm-hmm. In a different kind of book, it wouldn't matter. We don't need to to spend time with the villains, but this isn't that kind of book, or this isn't that kind of series, right? We've we've been spending time with them up to now, so there, we we don't have the mystery. That's um, actually this, there's a, a story about you know this uh, Jaws the movie. Sure, yes, I'm familiar. It's, it's a little movie, not many people have probably seen, but um, go watch it. It's out there. But they. The original movie of Jaws, when they originally filmed it, they I had, don't watch black and white. <laughs> they had so many issues with the shark in the water. Um, the Steven Spielberg handed his footage over to his editor, and they're like, "Oh, you really didn't get a whole lot here." And so the the editor of that one 
and won the Academy Award because she took it and edited it so that you didn't see the shark until like the very end, basically or only pieces of it right. to build that mystery. Well, we don't get that option with this because we've been with our villains already. Yeah. So you can't build up the mystery of, you know, the great reveal of the great villain. Yep. Because uh, it's already gone. Um, and maybe that's a mistake. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that's just, it's one of those things where at this point in the series, I'm kind of scratching my head a little bit. And I I feel like I probably would have made a different decision in writing it mm. uh, or advised something different if I were editing it. But who knows? This is a time when you could let, and he does, he does to an extent, and we'll talk about it more later in the book, but where your villains get to win a little more often uh, with your, this is the Empire Strikes Back era <laughs> right. in this, yeah. uh, of this series here. Um, so it, it will be, it would be nice to be able to see our heroes kind of, especially Gavin get knocked down a little bit more here uh, with our villains winning. I know, super deep. Moving on. <laughs> uh, let's go back to chapter one, this prologue. And uh, I will say that I really liked the setup for this book. I wasn't sure where it was going. And then at the end, so to, to kind of set it up a little bit, there's the white, she's now pretty old and frail and she is in a wheelchair and she's wheeled toward the window and she and Karis watch this sea demon coming in and it's going to just wreck the entire harbor or whatever it is. Uh, and all these people are called up to fight it and nobody knows if anybody's going to survive. It's going to tear down everything. But then a black sperm whale comes and does battle with the sea demon and drives it away and it's this kind of omen uh, or it's taken as an omen but then isn't mm -hmm. explained at all i i kind of liked it uh, as an intro to the book it's uh yeah it's just it, for a for a middle book you got to do something exciting to get people interested in what's coming up and i i, I thought this one was pretty effective i i have some questions about this but i want to put a pin in it and revisit it at towards the end of the series um revisit this this chapter yeah section here uh because it is it is kind of because we haven't really dealt a whole lot with animals in this series up till now there hasn't really been a whole lot of well and they make the, as i think it's the white that kind of explains that that the whales sorry the whales have been gone like the sea demons have wiped them out and so people really didn't realize that they were even still there Mm -hmm. And then there's a conversation that the white continues on that she th that it's interesting that it's a black sperm whale that comes and rescues them that the that it's an unusual color for the sperm whales and they, and the sea demon is white right yeah instead of and they're talking about light and light comes to save and light is these bright colors so the fact that it's a black sperm whale that is their savior of the moment right. I think kind of was playing as I was thinking about right, all right. of it's, this as we've talked about like the black prism and everything. I was like, well, it's a black sperm whale <laughs> that's saving the chromaria, like the whatever big Jasper that it's a, that from the, the sea demon that's about to attack. I don't know. I mean, so maybe I was reading too much into it. No, but. I don't think, here's what I was, I don't think you're reading too much into it. Welcome to the legendarium, everybody. <laughs> so here's what I was thinking as I was reading through that. Am I finally going to get my Star Wars wish? Nobody, nobody is doing this. And I kind of feel like uh, the way Tolkien and Lewis did you know, back in the 30s and 40s when they were like, fine, we're just going to have to write the books we want to read, right? Uh, my Star Wars wish is that somebody needs to figure out that 
light and dark must coexist in order for wholeness to be achieved right mm. and uh and so there yeah, and somebody's probably going to hop on reddit and be like oh well you didn't think of this book here's here's the book here you want to read <laughs> that's fine let me know uh but anyway there's that's that's what i was kind of thinking of is what you're talking about stephanie well hang on a minute i thought that it's all it's all about the light what's this black sperm whale doing saving the chromaria well maybe <laughs> let this be a lesson to you that you need the black to survive and you know to be to be complete anyway that's that's my star wars wish so that was the note that i had in my kindle uh, when i read that first chapter you should hop on and watch the clone wars I think there's a thing in there that might that might it won't it won't entirely scratch that itch, but it might give you a little something. Eh. Yeah, I'm I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe someday I've watched a little bit of the Clone Wars. Anyway, uh, I've got lots and lots of Kindle notes, but maybe I'll toss <laughs> it to you guys for now. I have some book I have some bookmarked stuff that now I don't really know why I bookmarked it. And that's about all I can help you with. Okay, I will take one of our highlighted sections i wish i remembered i don't this is one of the things we've since we share i don't know if you highlighted this or if i did um but it is a great quote and i'd love to this is one of those life moments here you read this like ah yes that's let me take that and stitch it on a pillow so i remember it later (laughs) on in life here says kip or holland walks men through fires every day i believe that but before you walk through fire make certain it's the one he's asked you to walk through Ooh, nice uh, who's he talking to? Is that uh, Iron Fist, maybe? Uh, that one is the White. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, the White's talking to Kip on that one. So it's kind of like um, sometimes God will ask for martyrs, but don't don't force it. <laughs> yeah. Don't just go be a martyr when you don't have to. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah that's interesting. I don't know what... Uh, oof. Is there anything more to delve into with that, I guess, is my question. Not really. I mean, it's it's a moral lesson that's sitting out on front, and it's not really one that you would argue with a whole lot. There's not really a point to saying, well, no, you want to walk through well, fire. It's, it's a bit like, but the follow-up question is, well, how do you know the difference? And there's one of life's great mysteries, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think, is there any point that we've read up through now that we feel Kip has done that? Like, that he's he's walked through a fire or that he's done something that he didn't necessarily have to? I mean, maybe when we finish the series, we can probably look back and go, yes, Kip's done that, or these are fires he needed to walk through, but... That he didn't have to. There's a couple... The first instance that comes to mind, uh, with the caveat being that our hero has to go through everything he's gone through to get him to where he is. So it's kind of like, well, no, he had to go through that one. But you could argue that in the threshing, would it have been any different if he had actually pulled the rope earlier? like Something like that. So, so being stubborn isn't the same thing as as being noble or whatever. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a good example. A I moment like that. like that where maybe he didn't have to suffer, but the fact that he did actually makes it a cooler story and things like that. Yeah, it gives him uh, some cool character stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got one from chapter fifteen, and this is one where I I know I brought this up in a previous episode, and now it's kind of like laid out. plain as day but this is a question i had actually this is when as far as i can recall this is when kip is walking through the jungle he's escaped from zyman and he's trying to survive uh, you know leeches and all that stuff Mm -hmm. Uh, and he starts to have an internal dialogue 
Now, is he dialoguing with himself or because he meets this angelic heavenly something or other, right? When he's in his A little blue in cocoon. His cocoon. Right. So is the goddess with him the whole time? I don't know. And so is he actually dialoguing with him? He probably doesn't him? know either, so. Right. <laughs> anyway, no, I guess it's actually a thought that just occurred to me a few moments ago. I, I would treat this right now with this level of understanding as the... Uh, Coming back to Empire, Obi-Wan on Hoth <laughs> <laughs> moment here. You would go to Yoda. You know, this he's, uh, you would go to, yeah. That's, yeah. that's okay. what I would treat. So anyway, as. but the, the internal dialogue goes like this. Gather your will. He had no will. He reached towards subred for passion, toward green for wildness. No, your will. Luxon is your tool. You are not its tool. Stand. And it's uh, so... As I was reading it at the time, it was just an internal dialogue. But now I'm mm -hmm. wondering if maybe there was an external force as well. But I love this concept and I can't stress it enough that you have to recognize what what the difference is between who you are and what you do or what mm -hmm. you use. Or, you know, it's we talk about this sometimes in the difference between you are not your job or you're not your... You, you are not your spouse or whatever, right? We, we tend to find ways to, uh, to define ourselves that may be more or less appropriate, right? But in this case, you are not, just because you're a drafter, just because you can do those things doesn't mean you need them. You mm -hmm. are, you're the same Kip who is down in that hole refusing to pull on the rope. You don't need these you don't need to draft this Luxon in order to have that resilience. Right. Uh, and I really, really liked that moment for him. That's all. I like that a lot too. I actually just came back from a, a conference that, and we talked a lot about uh, identity and finding, and people spend a lot of time, especially in books like this, on the hero's journey, finding themselves. Sure. When the reality is, is uh, it's less of a finding something, like if you find something external, it's usually just a label to help you understand. Uh, but it's actually, it's, it's extracting the internal out and understanding that that's what you're, that's you. This value is, is you um, that comes through experience and things like that rather than looking for something out there. And Kip in that moment, I think that's, that's a fantastic example of that where it's, you're all you need. Trust, trust yourself, trust, trust you. Well, and I think it's his time on that island when he was by himself practically dying that his mentality and how he thinks about himself slowly changed. Because as you continue reading through the book and you hear what his thoughts are, he's he's constantly criticizing himself and then almost immediately correcting himself on his own criticizing. Right, like he's, he's getting better at that. Yeah, he's realizing what kind of person and what kind of power and like who he actually is. And I think it took that those moments on the island for him to finally make that mental change to where he's becoming a more mature, stronger young man than just this whiny little kid from no man's land that everyone thinks he is, that he's finally growing into the person that the hero we want him to be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very appreciative of the fact that he is written as correcting himself and not just the hero montage, I've gone through something difficult and now I come out super confident and everything. Uh, it's really common in movies and things like that. You get through the montage and then the heroes all of a sudden. <laughs> right. Rocky Rocky suddenly is able to take on the Russian because yeah. he lifted some rocks. So I, I appreciate the well, fact I that think, Kip corrects himself. And that's his his journey, I think, right here in book three is 
is that moment that transition between child to the hero we want him to be as we continue on with his story he needs it's nice seeing him yeah like you were saying ryan doing that himself and seeing his thought process and not just all of a sudden being now i'm the hero now i i understand my power i can go forward I'm a now. son of a prism i can do yeah right so. I, okay so we're gonna have a lot more to say in coming books about sex in the Lightbringer <laughs> series, right? But one thing that I want to say now is that I knew it. I called it in book one as we were... Ju- I didn't call it out loud because we didn't. it never came up on the podcast, but I knew it. Uh, as soon as I started learning about what drafting is and how it affects people and how it uh, how it affects you physically and emotionally and all that stuff, I'm like... Oh, people are doing it. Drafters are doing it drafter <laughs> style constantly, aren't they? And then finally in this book, I got confirmation that they do it drafter style. And uh, At least the Reds do. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's in uh, it's in chapter 20, Eris Subred. She's the one who's constantly pregnant, pregnant. right? Mm-hmm. She's had like 19 kids and counting or whatever. Uh, anyway, she... So yeah, we learned that uh, Karis was no knife. Everyone knew that greens, reds, and subreds, most of all, liked liked to mix drafting with sex. Anyway, that's all. It was a personal moment <laughs> of triumph. Like, uh, I, I think a lot of authors would just leave you to to kind of imply that, you know, yeah, of course they're using it during sex. Brent is like, yep, they totally do. <laughs> and it would be awesome. So, okay, do you guys have more you want to go over? Because I've got like eight more. Let's go ahead with whatever you got next, and we'll pull, I'll start searching for the next thing. I was like, I, I have a couple things. I just don't want to jump too far ahead of... If you're just following along in this story, I'm sure I'll get to my point eventually. But. I mean, I'm not really... I'm not really following As you can tell, we definitely held very strictly <laughs> to the timeline. I know. I am growing, going in chronological order or chapterological order, but it's not strict. Let's so. just keep going then. With okay. your is, and then when mine pops up, I will jump in. So we're at least kind of so chapter, sticking around chapter 24, I believe this is when, is Gavin being sent the dreams by Orhalem? He says, yes. I'm going to give you a bunch of nightmares. Well, here we go. This is what I wanted to talk about. Okay, cool. <laughs> So it's in chapter 24 and he's having these these dreams where he's recalling when he first became the prism. His first Sunday. Yes. Is that what you had mm-hmm. highlighted? Awesome. So we are of one mind. <laughs> so he's having this uh, this flashback and his mom is getting him all, all, all oiled up for Sunday, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. that's awkward. But anyway, uh, this is a great illustration of a really flippant principle that we sometimes say and that's fake it till you make it mm-hmm. this nice little aphorism that is sometimes we say it sarcastically and it's like no the world doesn't work like that no the world 100 percent works this way and this is a great illustration where he says i'm a fraud she slapped his face fury breaking through a veneer so cool he hadn't even guessed it was there then instantly it was gone again she rubbed the lotion back into place on his slap stung cheek her voice was quiet but each word was considered knife-edged we are all of us frauds. We are all of us frauds, and we are all of us doing the best we can to hold up a tower of illusions and ill-placed hopes. Do not fail us, my beloved son. Man, what a moment. Yeah. And so essentially, like I said, you could boil this down to, yeah, fake it till you make it. But it's it's a, a flippant remark with something deeper behind it. 
that we're all imposters to a certain extent until we're not. And he became the prism because of who he was and, and how he how he upheld the office, right? And understanding the concept, the idea that even if you are a fraud, you may be the fraudulent linchpin that's holding things together for others. And if you give up and it all falls apart, you're not it's not just you being honest or true or anything like that. That's you're literally destroying the lives of, of these people because this is their religious leader. This is the the pinnacle of everything. And if he goes out and says, you know what, I'm a fraud and explains everything, it just kind of does everything, an entire religion, an entire country, an entire uh, society falls apart. Right. So yeah, you might, you're, you're a fraud, but you better run with it. You better hold on to it. What do you say to this, this idea though, now it's becoming more and more clear that the Chromaria is wrong about a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I don't know if we call them corrupt or if we just call them kind of decadent or whatever the word might be. Uh, but how does that figure into Gavin's decision to to continue with the fraud to, as you say, you don't want to just give this up because everybody's lives would come crashing down around them. But according to the color prints and according to a lot of people who are not unreasonable, they would say it is better for chaos to reign than for lies to reign. Well, and I think there's a, a moment somewhere that Gavin is having a conversation where he kind of touches on this, that he decides to become the prism, to become Gavin, so he can make those changes he knows are wrong. That this was his plan to make the world a better place, to try and offset the corruption and the stuff that was happening within the Chromaria that he knew was already wrong. Yeah. And that's where why he decided to become the prism. I don't think it was until this moment when you actually get a, a deeper sense of who Dazen is as he's becoming Gavin. Because I think that's what I enjoyed about these dreams that he had, that you get to see Dazen. You're getting to know Dazen as a character and not necessarily who he is as Gavin but why he became Gavin and how he became a better Gavin than Gavin was going to be mm -hmm. and why he decided that Gavin needed to continue on and Dazen didn't. And because I think that would be a huge decision to make as after he's killed his brother to, to take on being his brother instead of saying, Hey, I won this war. I'm going to be me and take over instead of, like he sacrificed himself right. for the better good from the very beginning. Hmm. That's interesting. So is that what you were going to talk about when you were mentioning the dreams <laughs> yourself? So yeah, as I was listening to to the freeing that his first the first freeing that he's now experiencing again. What a chapter! It was it was a lot more heart wrenching the second time listening through it. Now that I understood more of the religious aspects. And what he was actually giving up personally. Cause so what do you mean? They gave him, from his, his point of view, they gave him two minutes. All you do, you listen to whatever they have to say. You have two minutes. You move on. You hear the bell and you go on. And he didn't even get through his first person when he was like, no, nope. I will do this for yeah, yeah however yeah, yeah, long yeah. I need to, to give these people. Because, the, I mean, when you think about it, these people had just gone through this massive war. 
they had lost a lot of people. A lot of them had broken the halo or were getting close because of what they had done to try and save their society for this war that they had just battled. He had, what, 400 people he was supposed to be freeing on his first Sunday as as prism. And I thought it was just touching getting to know Dazen, where he finally walked out and said, listen, this is going to take as long as it takes. And I'm going to do this justice because I want to. And he's he's killing people and how hurtful that would have to be. And then there was that moment with the the 16 year old girl. Gosh, where she said, I'm going to give you my gift of five minutes. And And you can do whatever you want with it. You can kill me first. You can kill me after if you want to talk. But my five minutes are yours. And yeah, it was. We can talk. I can give you a a five minute hug. Yeah. This time is yours and I'll help you however you want. I. I'm not exactly a Todd when I read. <laughs> I don't tend to get overly emotive, but that scene just about wrecked me. After he's been through so many people. And I think it's interesting that um, Brent as a writer didn't just blow over and give you an idea of how many people he freed. He listed name after name. I mean, I don't even know how many pages. Like, Yeah, it the, goes on for the a while. The pages of names and this this dream of his that it's not just oh, there was this person, but he lists names and traits and what they were. And like, I just thought it was interesting that Brent chose to do that Yeah, as a writer as well. So, you know, it's one of those things that this is going to zoom way, way out. I hope that's appropriate. But I, it's one of those things about epic fantasy that it does better than other genres, where if you were to have a scene, anything like this in your standard uh novel of any other genre it that would get cut way way down an editor would not allow you to go that long they'd say look people aren't going to sit around they're not going to they they don't want to keep reading stuff like this uh and it doesn't matter i don't mean stuff like this they don't want to read this much of anything right you got to keep the story moving and in this case he spends you know what three four five ten pages going on and on about these people getting freed and in and you're allowed to do that in epic fantasy because it's understood that this is going to be a 300,000 plus page <laughs> or word <laughs> novel and that there are going to be 3 4 5 14 of these novels what you know depending on the series and so you're given room to have moments like that and it's one of the things i really appreciate about the genre that we just don't get elsewhere i'm reading uh, right now i'm reading through annihilation Mm-hmm. which I think was Ryan's favorite movie of 2018. Yeah, I, you oversold that one to me hard. <laughs> anyway, hard. I'm reading through the book and it's, uh, you know, it's also, it's kind of a sci-fi fantastical thing, but it's in the, uh, God, how I loathe this word, literary mode. And it just refuses to take any time to let the story breathe. Mm-hmm. Just keeps going and it drives me crazy sometimes in that way i guess we all have our preferred genres so anyway uh it has other things to recommend it though i'm not saying it's a bad book i'm actually quite enjoying it but uh but that is a thing so awesome ryan any thoughts on that or anything else i think you covered it really well i i've even just remembering that scene with the 16 year old kind of i think she was 16 she might be older so don't don't quote me on that it was was something like she was younger But it just that it just it got me very emotional right just right here sitting kind of going oh yeah I remember that and just 
how strong that felt in that that selfless sacrifice is is there anything as touching as selflessness true selflessness as close as we can get to it i'm not sure that uh, it's uh, top five of most likely to make <laughs> top, top, okay i want to i want us to rank our awesome emotions or, uh, uh, no selflessness is character traits that are that can draw out a strong emotional response like that yeah yeah i would say selflessness um like that pure fury um mm -hmm. would can draw out a really strong emotional response but uh, i think you're going to be you're more likely to have a lasting response from having something along those lines where it's pure selflessness or pure love yeah no absolutely there's something about uh fighting against what is uh what is obviously deeply ingrained in our nature as human beings uh, to be selfish mm -hmm. to to always try to gain an advantage and we you know we of course we fight against that and of course we live in communities and families and we are trained to overcome that to a certain degree but if you if you are able or if you see someone who is able to overcome that in such a pure and total way as that girl is shown to do, then yeah, of course, it's incredibly touching. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all right, Stephanie, I stepped over your last point. So uh, with the dreams, is there something else in the story that you want to bring up? I don't know. There's a section that we have highlighted that um, is a... It's a recurring theme in this in this series, um, and it's becoming more prominent as some roles are changing, and that's slavery. Ah, uh, okay. We've talked a little bit about previous on a previous yes. pod about uh, this a little bit, but there's one here. Uh, Tia is talking about. There's a couple different things, so I'm going to read one from Gavin uh, with him becoming a slave, and then Tia's perspective uh, a little bit later. This one is from Gavin. He says, but to be a slave? No, this wasn't an unpleasant land he was visiting. It wasn't his new home. Good on an oar. He would escape or be rescued. There was no question of it. He wasn't a rower. He was simply rowing for a time. Gavin owned slaves. When he saw stray looks on their faces, fear or despair or disgust, he judged whether it was an assassination attempt. If it wasn't, he dismissed it, dismissed them, because they were beneath his notice. The only slave he'd treated like she was human was Mauricia. He'd been good to her, at least. More than good. He'd been an excellent owner to the slave closest to himself. That had to count for something. And then Tia's here. But I was one. And let me tell you, slaves know how to obey an order without actually accomplishing anything. People like you think that slaves are stupid. Slaves are smart enough to use that belief against their masters. So sorry I did what you said and not what you meant, mistress. I'm just a dumb slave. Treat me like I'm stupid and you'll get stupid out of me those two uh, conversations uh, from the two different perspectives are really enlightening there. Because um, Gavin literally just says, it kind of says that they're beneath him and everything. And Taya says, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because we let, like, that's, we've... That's what we want you to think. We have learned to let <laughs> you believe... Who's being naive now. Yeah. Um, totally separate parts of the book. But I don't know if, if I was an author, I think I would have a I would get really nervous trying to write a society where slavery was used to be able to do it well um, and to really have those conversations and have them mean something uh, versus just coming out and being like, oh, the bad guys have slaves. Only the bad guys have slaves. Right. This is I, I'm really this is one of those moments where I applaud Brent Weeks for tackling a, a what can be a very difficult subject. 
in a complex in way. a complex way yeah and and giving us a very different viewpoints on it someone who has just fallen into slavery as gavin has just been manacled to an oar who refuses to acknowledge and accept the fact that he is now currently a slave no i'm just this for now right versus tia who has been a slave for the majority of for a good portion of her life and been like you know yeah i am but I've learned to make the most of it. I've learned to make something from this. It's a very different perspective of the the downward and upwards trajectories of both of these characters. Right. I want to go back to the first part of that that you were talking about where Gavin is thinking about how he looked down on his slaves or just didn't think about them at all. Mm -hmm. So why is slavery so wrong, right? <laughs> let's, let's get into that question. And of course, the answer is that slavery creates uh it, it's a system in which you have people that matter and people that don't matter if they're even thought of as people as, at all mm -hmm. and so it creates this these uh, different strata of human beings and okay so now we live uh probably if you're listening to, th to this you live <laughs> in a society in which slavery is no longer a thing right at least not uh not, not in the way that is depicted here yeah not institutional slavery is gone however it is human nature to want to stratify society and to see some as above and some as below and fit yourself in wherever you feel most comfortable. Uh, to that end, anyway, I, I, I guess my point is that doesn't go away. Okay, so what's illustrated by slavery in these books is something that just because we don't have slavery in our society doesn't mean it's not there. And so I, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who, she's she's a great friend of mine. I love her dearly. One of the things about her, though, is that she has this thing about the homeless. She just can't stand the homeless. She doesn't, she, she to say she looks down on them would be understating things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really kind of disturbing to see if she ever brings them up. Uh, or if you know if drive by them on the street or walk by them on the street or something and she just has such disdain for the homeless mm -hmm. and it's kind of a it's the similar mindset that gavin is talking about maybe a little more disdainful than just simply dismissive like he's talking about but i guess my point is just when we're reading a book like this see past the the surface issue Mm -hmm. and see toward the the uh, the base of what it's talking about. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I think I understand what you're going for. And there's, I, I think that there are multiple aspects of this portion, of this aspect of the society that he's created that you can do that with. Um, where, you know, and not not just taking, thing, taking it at face value, uh, because, and I honestly, I, I apologize, I don't know which book this is in, um, <laughs> possible spoiler possible alert. Spoiler. Keep it general, right? Uh, but just I, I think it's Andros who talks. Who says, "Yeah, the color prince talks about getting rid of slavery, but how in the world would our society? Uh, yeah, how would we function without, without them? Yeah, um, who would do? Who would do who the, would do the menial? Who would do the chores? Yeah. Things yeah. like that. Um, and obviously, society can figure it out because we have to a certain extent, you know, figured that out. But that's something that you can look at, and you can. So if if you want to read these books and kind of from a societal perspective, how things run, how things function, and then translate it into our today, just kind of figure out what the parallels are. If it's not slavery straight across, I, would, I wouldn't I would want to compare slavery to something that doesn't deserve to be compared to it. Sure. Um, but there are definitely... Uh, 
sorry, go on. But there are definitely things that you can use as parallels. Because when you were talking earlier, um, I'm I am just amazed at how often our vernacular is about uh, in when we talk about trying to get ahead or go up the corporate ladder or trying to sure, sure, increase sure. our status to get it's up all to something. vertical. Yeah, um, which is something that I think might be based from a a past setup where that's you know it's yeah it's all it, it all makes evolutionary sense right mm -hmm. but uh but we're supposed to hopefully de-barbarize ourselves civilize ourselves past that sort of thinking so and that's my that's my point yeah right yeah we don't we don't think of slavery but you know how do you treat the people who work for you if you have direct reports at work mm -hmm. you know how do you treat your family how do you or your kids you know your kids are your your kids are uh, on a stratum below you, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> how do you treat them? How do you, how do you think of people above you? Are you? I don't know. I saw an, I saw an article recently that was like, uh, uh, it, it wasn't just we should get rid of the money that billionaires have, but like we should get rid of the billionaires. Oh. And it's like, where are we going with this? You know, you're. To, to take it to, to be going ex extreme <laughs> yeah exactly where you know you can get trapped in a mindset when you start to other people in that way and what do you expect from people who fall into that classification so for example we have tia and gavin here as a reader what are your expectations for them are you sitting here going do you why isn't tia fighting more to be free like she even earlier on uh, she had that chance where she gets um she could be free as soon as kip uh, signs the documents and everything. But she's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You know, we can get money out of this. We can do these other things. There's a natural instinct to look at someone from the situation. Like, why aren't you, why aren't you trying to better this? Why aren't you trying to get out of this here? Yeah. Um, or Gavin, like, you know, are you going to let you, are, are you going to be trapped in here? Are you going to war, you know, uh, warl? <laughs> warl? <laughs> what are you even trying to say? I, wow. My brain is just turned <laughs> off entirely. It was like a half waddle, half, something else uh, the word that i actually want to wallow? use wallow <laughs> wow hey it's been a long day for you i understand i've been in a, 11 hours of tech rehearsal or something like that so sometimes i catch myself when i think of uh different people uh and like and i think why aren't you trying to better yourself or why aren't you trying to do this whatever and realizing that that might be me not being able to see through the right lens because maybe Maybe there's a part that I don't understand. Right. Well, and there's a conversation that Tia, I guess, kind of has with herself. And I hope I'm not jumping too far into this book, but I know it happens in this book um, where she feels that she is trading her her slavery from one person to her slavery from another. As is she, murder sharp? Yeah. when Because um, there's a point where she has her signed papers and Murder Sharp steals her signed papers to get her to do something and blackmails her with them and says, you do this for the order and I will then return your papers to you. And she realizes that she's really just exchanging her her physical freedom of not being an actual slave anymore just into a different type of slavery. That now she's a slave to the order and she has to do it because now her life is on the line and... So it's even though she becomes free eventually because she has her signed papers, she files her paperwork, she's free. Um, she's now been extorted and she's being... still not because then she still realizes that 
whoever her original owner was that was having her steal all this I'm stuff had saved all of her stuff to blackmail her anyway. Like she's even no matter how hard she tries to escape from her slavery, she just ends up in a different type of slavery. Poor Tia. But she's such a fantastic character. She is. She's partly a fantastic character because she is making choices that put her in these positions. <laughs> she could make other choices. She easily could make other choices. Mm -hmm. And yet, and and uh, this kind of gets toward a question that one of the listeners put to us on Discord about character motivations and, uh, <laughs> you know, what do we think about character choices? I think we're going to probably get to that next time. Maybe we put a pin yeah, in it, Tia. It, it's kind of hard to to talk when, because oh. you're right. There's a lot of there's there's a lot of stuff that happens at the beginning of this book, depth wise of characters, but not a lot that happens forward moving -wise. with <laughs> right. characters. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. I don't know how far into the book we're actually supposed to be discussing, so I've probably like jumped. chapter fifty five. I have no idea what happens in you chapter about... fifty five. <laughs> chapter fifty five is uh, well, actually, I am going to get to exactly what chapter fifty five is. Ryan, you were going to say something. Well, I was just—I think I was going to bring up the same thing. It kept learning about the blinding knife, like yeah, and I do want to get the... there in just a moment because I have a prediction. Okay. So anyway, uh, but before we do, really, really quickly, there is there are two things that I want. No, we don't have time. I'll bring up the other one later. Uh, so there's one thing I want to bring up now, and that is, uh, it, it, it's you know in the Kindle edition you can see if there's something that's consistently highlighted. highlighted. Yeah, frequently highlighted. Uh, there's one that I noticed. It's in chapter 48. Kip wanted to shout at them. You thought this was a game when the Tyrians were dying. It was exciting, but now it's serious. He hated them for a moment, but the moment passed, and he saw their sorrow and was moved. That they have learned to weep at war is no victory. That they know loss is no gain. And so that was frequently highlighted. And I highlighted it too because I'm not sure that I agree with that. Okay. I'm not sure I'm in on this. So the, the phrase or the line here is that they have learned to weep at war is no victory. That they know loss is no gain. Uh I am reminded of Tolkien. <clears throat> Surprise. So I'm reminded of Tolkien. Uh, part of the thing that he does with the elves is the idea of sorrow and the, the idea that sorrow and sadness can bring beauty, help you to understand the world in a certain way. And I think it's part of the human condition that is at once awful and horrible and at the same time is the thing that makes it worthwhile and that's pain and loss and hurt and all of those things it's it's a cliche that you can't have the light without the darkness right mm -hmm. um, and, and that's but it's a cliche it's one of those hey it's a cliche because it's true kind of things yeah and so i don't think that i agree with that i think that um that they know loss is in fact a gain it does bring you depth it does if you can come through loss uh if you can manage to come through it on top then you can use it to or it can become advantageous to you in some ways that doesn't mean that loss is fun or that i wish it on anyone but it can be a beautiful thing and it can be a gain it can be i i think you're right and i the way you've described that i absolutely agree with i think in the context of what's happening here though 
is he saying that despite knowing loss, despite knowing these things, that they haven't changed or they haven't they haven't grown the way they should. So th to me, that's the only reason why I like that phrase still works. But on the concept on its own, yes, I 100% agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I just thought I'd bring it up so that people can call me a monster on Reddit. So <laughs> go to thelegendarium.reddit.com and call me a monster. Sure, uh, you can no, do that. That's you showing empathy and, and, and a heart. That's, is that what that is? That's Yeah. That, <laughs> I don't know when it started growing in your chest, but it's... You know. it grew three sizes. Three sizes today. Day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so we're at an hour, so we probably better call it there. Uh, like I said before, we are going to get to all of the Discord comments. I'll actually put up a Reddit thread Normally, you know, we might even sit here and do two episodes in one sitting, but I think everybody's pretty tired. If and you'd it, like some more deeper and some better content from me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to give Ryan a chance to sleep this off for a little while. So we will be back with the next episode. That'll give me a chance to actually put up a Reddit pre-discussion thread and give people a chance to chime in. So we will get to those and maybe one or two things that we missed for this and talk about the book as a whole next time. Okay, so... Yeah. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium and support the show if you enjoy what we do. I, I'm getting pretty rote with that, but uh, I'm actually pleading with folks to do that because it's wonderful to have your support and to know that, uh, that we mean enough to you that you're willing to throw a buck an episode at us. It really is. It is great. So patreon.com slash legendarium, and uh, we'll see you all elsewhere throughout the interwebs thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with the rest of the broken eye next time uh okay how are we feeling that's that's good go. enough let's go <laughs> good enough it's not gonna get any better sitting yeah, okay. here longer <laughs>